It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. For love is here, Goldshaw Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farms. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, or just chasing their dreams. And I'm really excited to finally, finally, finally share this interview with you. So uh, a buddy of mine out west goes by the name of Dan Omen. He, uh, you can find him on like Instagram and, and YouTube as the grass-fed uh, homestead. And he's just a really interesting guy. He, he started out as a cop. He opted to change up his life and move from Georgia all the way out west, and he's just got an incredible story. And you know, I've been following Dan for for quite some time, and in really in the last, I don't know, I guess year and a half, two years, things kind of changed for him. You see, when he went out to start the farm, it was him and his wife, but. Over a period of time, they they kind of grew apart and ultimately got divorced. And and so today, I want to actually share this story with you. I did this interview with Dan a couple of months ago while the podcast was on hiatus, and it was just such an interesting conversation to me because it was about how to think about chasing your dream, even if your dream starts to change in mid-flight, and the situation and context around your dream just starts to shift right underneath your feet. You know, I, I, I hope I never go through a situation like Dan's had to go through, but I'm not sure how I would survive it, to be quite honest. But when, when I sat down and talked to Dan and learned about his story, it was such an incredible one about the power of optimism and the power of resilience that, that there's just a lot of lessons for somebody. And so if, if you're thinking about starting a farm or a homestead and you're trying to think about how to convince your partner or spouse to, to do it with you, you know, I really suggest you listen to this interview today and, and really take heed of some of the advice that Dan has in the discussion because I, I know I personally learned a lot from it and I think you're going to get a lot from it too. So Dan, just to jump right into things, growing up as a kid, did you always want to have a sheep farm? No, <laughs> absolutely not. That never crossed my mind until around 2010. So there was a long stretch of period where I had uh, a very different career and I was focused in a very different way. Yeah. Like what were you doing? So before I was raising sheep and homesteading in general, I was, uh, actually in police work. I was in law enforcement. I was a detective in Atlanta and uh, I did five years on uniform patrol. And then I did five years as a detective. I was uh, doing major crimes investigations. So I did uh, crimes against children and elderly. And I did robbery and homicide, which as you can imagine is quite different from work in the farm. I, I mean, and I've never even worked in like remotely that vicinity, but I got to imagine that's like really tough work. Yeah, it, it, it can be. It can be really taxing. Um, and it's it requires a lot of time commitment as well. Uh, being a detective, especially working major crimes, we would be assigned uh, a week at a time to be on call. But then in reality, you're always on call because if there's a, a homicide, then everybody's getting activated. So um, 
you know, it doesn't matter what your plans are, you know, you might have to go to work at any given time. So it, it has that level of really high level of commitment as well. Now, how do you make that jump from being a detective in Atlanta to a farmer in Idaho? Yeah, it's, it's um, kind of a story with a wonky path. But um, in 2009, I met the lady who would become my wife <laughs> in 2010. And Um, We got married and she got pregnant. We had a baby on the way. And that's what really started changing me. I had this, I call it kind of a a spiritual awakening where I I started growing up. I I, I feel like, you know, I was always a responsible adult, but it was always just about being responsible for myself. And all of a sudden I found myself in a situation where now I'm responsible for a wife and I'm uh, bringing a new life into this world. And I was, I, I just felt this, this really, really heavy weight from that, that I needed to get my family in a better position to where if there were issues with food security, um, systems of support fail, anything like that, I wanted to be more resilient and less reliant on the, these potentially failing systems of support where I could help support my own family. So I, I just had this really strong tugging at my heart just to start, you know, developing real life skills. And it started with bread making. Uh, and I don't, I can't tell you really why. That bread, bread is like the gateway drug, man. You think, yeah, you know, right. All the people with the sourdough starters back in March during quarantine, I think it's like fueling the homesteading movement. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a lot of people talk about they get a chicken and that's their gateway animal and other things. Well, the bread really introduced the concept of taking a raw product and turning it into something that was a food product. So I was buying whole wheat berries and I got a wheat grain mill. So I would mill the grain myself and then I'd have flour and then I would make bread from that. And I had the first couple batches weren't so good, but, you know, with some practice, it got better and better. And I I thought this is fantastic. You know, I'm making my own bread. So like now what, what's next? Well, what goes with bread? Butter, right? So butter is like, huh, I want to learn how to make butter now. And keep in mind, all this was when I was living in suburban Atlanta, uh, still as, as a police officer at this point. So this was generally on the weekends or just time off. I would experiment with these different new hobbies here. So I, I was looking at how does one make butter? And I, I did what anyone would do. And I went to YouTube and looked up, you know, how to make butter. And everyone I saw that made a video about this was going to the grocery store, buying a carton of cream, bringing it home and making it from store-bought cream. And I thought, you know, there's just something not right about that. It, that's that's all great, you know. I, I'm glad people are taking that step to make butter like that rather than just buying butter. But it, that just wasn't enough for me, so I had to find a cow. <laughs> so I went on a search. I I went to I think it was rawmilk.com is what it was. And but at that point, I had no. I've never even heard of raw milk. I didn't even know what it was. Um, so I learned all about raw milk accidentally by looking to find a dairy near me. But I found on rawmilk.com they have a directory for every state in the country of, of farms, small family farms that are selling raw milk products. And sometimes depending on your state, it may not be for human consumption. 
depending on the laws. But in Georgia, it was not for human consumption. You can't sell raw milk there for human consumption. So uh, it was just listed for as pet food. So I reached out to that farm and they invited me to come out for a tour. And when I got there, I fell in love. I There's this beautiful family, multi-generational grandparents all the way down to grandchildren on five acres in suburban Atlanta. They had like 20 Jersey cows. They were seriously into the milk producing and they, they had broiler chickens, they had pork, and they were producing all this food for their families. And then with an abundance to where they were making a living for their family off of selling that food. And I just fell absolutely in love with that concept and the animals there just being around them. Something just felt so right about the experience. So I absolutely started buying raw milk from them, but I also started buying everything else I could meat wise, you know, cause they would sell ground beef from their steers that they would raise and they had honey. I mean, everything, right? So I, I try to do all my grocery shopping there as much as possible. And that is what really inspired me to do this for myself. I felt like this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be able to provide for my family. I want to be able to provide this experience for my son. And hopefully that's something he would want to carry on to his family when he grows up as well. So then it turned into a, a game of like, how do we make this work? You know, I have this full-time job. My wife's had a full, had a or has a full-time job at this point. And Atlanta, I, I don't know if you've ever been there, Morgan, but oh, it's yeah. okay. <laughs> and you're, you're familiar because you're you're also from DC, so you understand the humidity of the East Coast, right? <laughs> it's awful, and it's just not where I wanted to be uh, spending a lot of time outdoors. And m- my wife, she was actually born and raised in Atlanta. I was not, I was a transplant. I, I was just never in love with it. And she was ready for a change having lived there most of her life. So uh, we just started looking for like, where would we go? You know, if we could go somewhere and lo- long story short there, we narrowed it down to Idaho and it was a very similar situation. I think to your story, Morgan, in a lot of ways where, you know, moving out of state, ha- having to figure out the job situation and all that and buying land uh, at a distance and all that. But uh, we got that all figured out eventually. We wound up in Idaho. I, I decided to leave my career in law enforcement. My wife got this really big promotion at work. She was making enough money that we could li- live off of her income while I was establishing the farm. And that was kind of the deal. We just went for it. When when all the circumstances, it took years. It took years of working towards this. Um, I think a little over three years before we were able to make the move from the time we decided we wanted to do it. What were some of the biggest things that you guys did to prep for that move? Because I know like there's a lot of people I talk to who are thinking about trying to make that leap. And they're not even sure what they should be do as they're leading up to that leap. Right. So I think the biggest piece of it is the financial piece. And I, I know from your story, Morgan, that that's something you guys are able to save up your entire cost of your land. That's I wish I was able to do that. We weren't in the position to do that, but we did have a sizable down payment. And I think the financing, the debt piece of this is really critical, you know, making sure your finances are in order, you're not getting in way over your head financially on something. That's a really big piece, but also doing the groundwork for reconnoitering, right? Like you're doing the the research and finding the the right balance for you, the right area. Um, We were, again, coming from Atlanta, moving to Idaho. So this was very, very cross country, right? So to do any kind of on the ground research took a lot of advanced planning. And we had to make several trips to Idaho, scouting out locations at different times of year. 
to get a sense of the different seasons because it's absolutely gorgeous here in the summer, but was winter going to work for us? In Atlanta, you know, we comparatively had mild winters. We'd get some ice and it was cold, but not, we didn't, we weren't dealing, dealing with feet of snow. So yeah, what is that's that not really? real wind. Atlanta's not real. <laughs> no, no, I know no. what you mean. <laughs> yeah. So, and as a child, I, I was born in the Northeast. My family's all from New York and I lived in New Jersey and Pennsylvania as a child as well. And so I remember those kind of winners as a child. And that's more of what I was thinking Idaho would be like. And I just wanted to know, like, as an adult, is this something I could manage? And that's going to be different for everybody. Um, it, de- it depends on your circumstances. If you're older in life, if you're in your 60s looking to make this change, you know, do you really want to move to a climate that has a heavier winter and you're having to deal with plowing and snow shoveling and all that? Like, so it's just going to depend on your circumstances. For me, you know, being in my early 30s at the time, it, I was like, sure, yeah, no problem. Let's, let's do it. Um, but anyway, we did the work. We put the time in, did a lot of research, finding the right areas, checking out all the microclimates you know, trying to mitigate the really heavy snow belts and how to, how to work around that. How can we maximize our growing season in a certain area? Those are all things we really looked at. Rainfall per, uh, uh, precipitation. So Southern Idaho, which is, there were a lot more job opportunities. And I thought that's might be initially where we landed because of the job opportunities for my wife in the tech industry. She, she had some potential employers down there. We went down to Boise, which is in Southern Idaho first, and it's high desert. And I didn't really fully understand that till I got there. Super dry, 10 inches of rainfall a year, maybe maybe 11, something like that. It's really low. And it, for me, wanting to get into farming, looking at rainfall was really important to me. Is this really the right place for that? Like, yeah, you can make it work, but this is going to be harder. Like, where else can we look to make this easier? There's also a social component to all this. I had to make the move as well being sensitive to my wife's situation. She was very interested. Like she was way more extroverted and social needs a lot more interaction and people time and being in town than I ever did. So moving way out in the middle of nowhere wasn't going to work for her. We had to find a place where we were still kind of close enough to town, connected with a community. So all those things went into consideration when trying to find a place. And I don't know if that really answers your question, Morgan, if that's what you're looking at. No, no, that that, that, it makes sense. And and, and I think that that I found the same thing, right? Where it's balancing the needs that you have as you're thinking about starting a farm and what's the ideal situation for what you want to do versus thinking about your whole family and like, what does that work for your spouse? Or if you have kids, like, you know, how do you, you know, kind of find that equilibrium? I found that to be like one of the hardest things about finding the right spot to move to. Absolutely. Yeah. And and just finding that spot that is the sweet spot for everybody. It, it's definitely, there are compromises that have to be made in order to make it work. But I, I would say those are the main things for somebody who's kind of looking to another area. If they're trying to move out of state, you know, make sure your finances in order, make sure that you have the ability to earn capital. Like if you're just going to start a farm, don't expect to be being able to live off that income your first year necessarily. Uh, there, there are people who are able to do that following Joel Salatin's, you know, pasture poultry mo- uh, profits model. And I'm not knocking that, but, uh, you know, keep that in mind, you know, in a lot of modern circumstances, you, you, if you're in a married situation, you know, as you know, from your experience as well, generally at least one person in the marriage is still having an outside job. So is there access to jobs, the climate considerations, and then local economy, those kinds of things are all important. 
Yeah. So now as you got your farm stood up and you, you know, you started to, you started with sheep, right? Yeah. Sheep, I started with sheep with my first animal. Yeah. And, and so, so what, how much of that was like kind of farming for profit versus how much of it was, you know, farming and, and raising food for you and your family? I went into it thinking I would grow into having, I guess, kind of what we would call a farmstead scale. Like we're homesteading, but we have that farm business element to it where we're producing a little extra because it's worth it at that scale. Like just to have a, a few more animals, it, it doesn't increase the labor that much more. And so you can get some monetary offsetting, I guess, on expenses by uh, selling some of it. So that was a, the original vision there. Like start with some raising some food for us and then grow it a little bit more beyond that. What happened when I first got sheep, sheep, like many other livestock, they're a animal that requires other animals. They need a community. Uh, if sheep need a flock, they do better. If they're in numbers, they need more of them. them. You can't just have one and it be an ethical situation for sheep. So I needed at least two and two still felt kind of small for me at the time. As I wanted more of a flock feel, which was, I felt four. That was the number for me. I just wanted to try four. And then I realized like, well, two lambs, they, they finished out that first year. I was hitting around 60 pounds ish hanging weight. So that's a good amount of meat. So I wound up marketing two of them and selling two of them to offset the cost for the two I raised basically, which was kind of the, again, that, uh, that vision for the model I was going for. It's funny how that, that, yeah, sort of almost like chicken math, like, well, if you have two, you might as well have four. And if you have four, you know, six isn't that much work, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, and so as you scaled up, what did your operation start to look like? Next came the chickens after the sheep. So all this happened in a really short window, I should say, just like you, we moved on our farm July of 2016. And day one was like move on the property day. Day two, I had to put up fencing really quickly because day three, the breeder was bringing the sheep. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was not by choice. It was just like, this you know, is when I'm available. It's sorry, funny that we have the same date, right? Because yeah, like we bought our farm in July, but like we didn't even, I didn't, Allison moved up here before I did about nine months and I didn't even move up here to like May of 2018 because it was just such a slow drip process. Like, wow, that's amazing that you were able to like take the place, get the animals, get it going that quick. That's incredible. It, and again, it, that wasn't by choice. It was just the breeder was like, I'm available to come now or never take it or leave it. You know, since she was doing the transportation for me. So I was like, okay, fine. We took it. So it really forced us to move quickly. So we got the sheep on day three. And then I think it was maybe two or three weeks later, we added the chickens in and my dad moved out here as well. He really loved coming out to visit. So he wound up moving out here and he started raising chickens and he ha he had more chickens than he could manage. So he wound up giving some chickens to us, uh, which was really cool. So that's how we got into that. So I built Justin Rhodes chicken tractor, not the chick shop, but his static chicken tractor that would mm -hmm. go to make a little garden plot. I, I built that because I, I had never built anything before moving onto the homestead. I was not accustomed to building projects. So that just seemed like the easiest one to build. So I built that and we got our 10 chickens and two ducks came with them too. And they didn't last long, the ducks, because they were miserable on my property. So we sent them back, but that came next. And that was just really for eggs. Then we also got a couple pet bunny rabbits. Um, 
that that was just more for my son uh, than anything. But that that was kind of the first year uh, we we did the four sheep and then had chickens for eggs. Wow. And now, as as you've been doing this now for a few years, what do you say are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned, kind of from when you look back when you started to where you are today? Biggest lessons uh, would be to start small, start smart. I feel that I handled that well. I think starting with the four sheep was appropriate and the, the 10 chickens that soon follow after that. It was all manageable. The learning curve is steep at times. So to mitigate the difficulty by keeping your head count lower, I think is smart. I think the natural inclination for a lot of people is to go big. So it's just to start, oh, I want to, you know, there's this great deal, this farmer selling 20 of their sheep should I go get them all, you know, kind of thing. And it's tempting in a lot of ways, but is that really smart to start well out with? Cause you may not even like sheep once you start raising them. And now you have to sell 20 sheep, you know what I mean? So starting small, keeping the number small, seeing if you like it before you commit to it. I think that that is something that I was admonished on before getting into this. And then looking back now, four years later, I still recommend that to anyone looking to start. Like if you're interested in a particular animal, just get a minimum amount, see if you like it and just get feeders. Don't get breeding stock your first year. See if you like it before you commit to it, which is what I did. And then the next year, because I loved it, I went and got breeding stock and did the breeding and and, and scaled it up at that point. Yeah. Now I think that that makes really good sense. It's funny. I'm getting ready to, to try to add cattle to our farm next year. And like, you know, I'm still in this debate with myself of, do I just get feeders and raise them through the fall and, and say, okay, let's see, did I like that experience or not? Or do I go all in? And that's, that's like the constant debate I have with myself on it. Right. And everybody's circumstances are different too. And like, you've been doing that, you've been at this a few years and you obviously have a lot of geese and ducks and chickens and all that. And, you know, obviously the cattle are a little different. They're a ruminant livestock, but you're not trying to learn farming at the same time, I guess. Right. You, I don't have- know, man, I'm still nervous about the, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I still, it's one of those things, right. Where each, you know, I, I find that each animal you add to the farm, right. Is a whole new set of complexities, a whole new set of rules to learn. And yeah, there's some fundamentals that I think from raising geese to going to, to cattle that are there, but I think there's a lot of stuff to learn. And that, that in and of itself is sort of a scary thing. Right. That is true. On the other side of that too, at some point you got to do something, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got to go for it. So as you've been going now for a few years, you know, I know you've had to kind of like scale up and then scale down and now you're in the process of scaling up again. What are you doing differently as you kind of build out now? Things are very different now than when I first started in 2016. Again, I started really small in 2016 and I slowly built up into 2017. I, I at my peak, I had 24 head of sheep somewhere around there, including lambs, breeding stock and lambs. I had somewhere in the neighborhood of 17 to 20 pigs, somewhere in there. I had guinea, American guinea hogs that all got pregnant by the breeder from which I bought them before I knew they, I didn't know they were pregnant and they all littered out, had a bunch of piglets. I had a lot of chickens. I was raising meat 
broilers. I had a lot of laying hens, over 150 chickens on the property. Uh, things were really, really popping. Everything was going great. Of course, I was documenting all this journey on YouTube as well. And the, the YouTube channel was really starting to get traction and grow. Everything was going amazing. And then I had a really big life-changing event in 2018. My wife of eight years, uh, really out of nowhere, blindsided me. I had no idea it was coming. She uh, left and filed for divorce. Mm -hmm. It was an extremely crushing experience, emotionally, spiritually. It was, it was just the absolute worst thing I've ever been through in my life. I've talked to a lot of people since going through a divorce some people share that story, but a lot of people I hear, like it was just some casual, easy experience they went through. And that just, that just was not it for me. It was just, it took the absolute life out of me. And a lot of things came crashing down for me. I lost a lot of my drive um, because I was so crushed. It was a fight to get out of bed in the morning. I did, what kept me moving is knowing I had the sheep out there and the pigs out there that needed to be fed. I had to go out and feed them. And that got me up and kept me moving, but I didn't know, I, I felt I couldn't manage the scale I was managing it at anymore. And I slowly started reducing over the year. I tried to do everything I could to reconcile the situation. It was an unfruitful of attempt, uh, nothing ever happened. So by the end of the year, when everything was finalized, I sold all the breeding stock. I got rid of all the animals. Mm. I needed to take the winter off I knew that much. I did not know what I was going to do moving forward, but I knew like I could, like I needed a winter where I can take the time off and figure out what I'm going to do, start rebuilding my life. Cause my options were just to give up and, and not do anything or figure out a way forward to rebuild. So that's what I chose that latter option there, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. So I went down from having all those animals to nothing but my two livestock guardian, guardian dogs. I could not get rid of them. They were I'm very <laughs> bonded with my dogs. So I took the, that winter off. I, I did a little bit of traveling. I went back to Atlanta um, for a funeral and I went down to California and visit family that next spring and uh, visited my sister and, and she was in Las Vegas at the time. I went to visit her and just, just spent some time rebuilding trying to figure things out. And then I thought in 2019 in the spring that I would get some feeders and get back into it. But I just, I don't know what it was. I, I just didn't have the heart for it. And I, I went all of 2019 without raising any livestock. And it was really hard um, because it it's something I had dreamed so long about doing since 2010. And I gave up my career to pursue that. And it's something I was building with my family. My son was with me all the time doing it. My wife, she traveled a lot for her job. But when she was home, she she loved the chickens and she was involved in that. I felt it was something we were building as a family. And I, I no longer had that family. My son was gone 50% of the time. We had joint custody. So it was, I get him half the week. She got him half the week. And then the other half of the week, he's just gone. And there's just, it's just me. And every, the, the whole reason for me building everything I had built was for the family. The family was gone. I just didn't know what to do anymore. And I, I just didn't have the heart and I didn't have the, the drive to homestead that year. And consequently, the, my YouTube channel really suffered. The growth stopped. 
everything I worked for on there, which as you know, it's a lot of work producing the content and, and building a channel and all that was just, I saw that dwindling and dying and that was upsetting in its own, um, in its own right. And then as the time went on, I, I felt I was getting stronger and stronger. I was rebuilding emotionally, figuring things out. Um, I met a, I met a girl <laughs> and uh, through dance class, I, I started doing things that I wanted to do for myself. Some, some things that I've always wanted to do and some things that I used to do that I kind of gave up when I had a family and music was one of them. I'm a musician. So I, I got back into playing music with a band in the town I'm in. And I always wanted to do ballroom dancing. I just always thought that would be really fun to learn. So I, I went out and started taking ballroom dancing classes and uh, I met a girl uh, that also was interested in ballroom dance. She was going to the classes and we each needed a dance partner. So we kind of paired up and started taking private lessons together. And that kind of developed into a relationship. I didn't know it at the time, but as I got to know her more, I found out that she had an, she had an agricultural background. Growing up, she worked on a horse ranch. Uh, she did a lot of horseback riding. She did 4-H training where she taught 4-H and she did barrel racing. She did the rodeos and all that. She was quite an accomplished equestrian. And she was very fascinated with my previous life in homesteading. And she she was interested in, she was go back and watch my grass-fed homestead videos and get a sense of what that was like. And she was always really interested in it. And this this last spring of 2020, I was pull, pulling in my driveway and I just looked around. And I noticed like the pastures I had worked so hard on trying to rehab were getting overgrown with weeds again, like no, noxious weeds, like the ones I was really trying to knock out, the nap weed and stuff like that. And I looked around and I thought, you know, I need a pig. I need a couple pigs to help till this up. And as I went and, and talked uh, to my dance partner about that, and I said, you know, I just had this weird notion. Maybe I should get some pigs. And she was so excited about the idea. She's like, absolutely. That'd be so awesome. And I was trying to talk myself out of it, but she wouldn't let me. And she really pushed for me to get the pigs. She's like, you need to go with that. And so I went for it and I got the pigs. And the next thing you know, I'm getting chickens and sheep again and it just all came back that's awesome that's incredible how it just yeah it just takes a little time and wow i mean and, and as i've just been seeing and watching your farm you've been really growing things out and building from like the lessons that you had a few years ago it's incredible yeah and, and I, I i've kept it really small again this year i knew i needed to start small again because I'm, I'm kind of back to that place where I was just kind of starting out. Yes, I have the infrastructure in place already. I have, you know, I have fencing. I have all the things that a beginner doesn't necessarily have. I have that. I have the knowledge and experience, but I also didn't have the confidence anymore. Going through that divorce sucked a lot of confidence out of me in a lot of different areas. I felt like a big part of me was just, you know, beaten down into a pulp and, and, I asked myself, you know, can I really do this again? And I wasn't sure. So I, I just went back to that again, that beginner model we talked about, start small, just get a couple, just do that, see how that works. And so I kept it super manageable. I should also note my life is a little bit different also in that now because I'm not married anymore. If you remember earlier, I mentioned that she was bringing in the income that's gone. So uh, I do have a full-time job. I also do a lot of video editing, side work 
for Justin Rhodes for his YouTube channel, as well as um, Farmstead Meatsmith. I do some video editing for that YouTube channel as well. I, I do have a lot of off-farm busyness going on, so I had to keep it really manageable for that as well. And being a single parent, there's no one else to you know help with my son when I'm out there doing chores. I have to make dinner. I have to do the dishes. I have to do all the other things. There's no tag team in there. So in that, I had I felt I had a lot less time. So I wanted to keep it as small as possible, get my feet wet again, see how it goes, and and then make decisions at the end of the season. Wow. And, and now that, I mean, I know I was just watching that you were butchering on your farm, like as you're at that end and you're looking forward to the future, like what are you hoping to do over the next couple of years? Do you have any thoughts around that? If you had asked me that question two years ago, I'd have this really, really great answer because I had it all planned out. I had all mapped out where I was going to, the growth, the end goals. And a lot of that's still up in the air. I'm still taking it really one day at a time. I do know that in the spring, I do want to get livestock again. I just don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet. And I don't know exactly where that's going. For someone who's listening to this and and they're still like living in the city or living in suburbia, but having dreams of, you know, growing their own food after growing some rooftop tomatoes or making their own bread, what advice would you have for them? Be smart about it, but start working towards it now. Don't wait for that someday when I retire or someday when things just work out. It, that's probably not going to happen. You need to start taking active steps now to make that happen. It took me, again, three, three and a half years from the time I decided this is what I want to do to be able to actually make it happen. And during that time, I didn't waste that time. That was all done doing research. I read every book on permaculture and raising livestock, and it was not wasted time at all. So seize every opportunity you can to be learning about everything you can. If you're listening to this, that means you're probably already doing that, which is great, but start figuring out what your next steps are for you to get the financial freedom you need to be able to make that move and, and start doing it now. Like don't wait on that because it, it goes back to the same old proverb about planting a tree. When's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? And well, you can't do that. So what's the next best time right now? So start working on that now. Start taking those steps, even if they're really small steps. And part of that, I think, can also be reaching out to people in your area who are already doing this. I get emails from people all over the country sometimes, but definitely people locally that want to come out. They want to see the farm. They want to see what it's like because they're interested in doing it. But they got to really figure out, is this really what I want to do? Rather than just watching it on a video, they getting that hands-on experience is super important. So look for workshops you can go to, uh, anything to get your feet wet, anything to get hands-on experience, whether it's in harvesting, um, if, if that's something you ever are interested in too. There are hand-hewn farm travels around the country. Well, given our current pandemic, I'm not sure that's the case anymore, but hand-hewn farm and farmstead meatsmith are amazing resources for learning about harvesting. They do workshops. And again, if you're interested in sheep, find someone in your area that's raising sheep, reach out to them, build a relationship. Even if they're not raising sheep the way you want to raise sheep, maybe they are grain feeding and you want to be grass fed, or maybe they're not doing rotational grazing and you want to be doing, you know, management intensive grazing patterns. They still have a tremendous amount of knowledge. So tap into that, build a relationship, start building relationships now. With, with these people, but don't go to them saying, hey, what can you teach me? What can you do for me? You have to offer value back. 
Otherwise, to me, as the busy person who's trying to, you know, be a single dad raising sheep and doing all these other things, working the full-time job, you know, like I, I want to help as many people as I can, but I can't help everyone as much as I'd like to because of time restrictions. But if you can come and bring value, that kind of changes the equation sometimes. And what that value is, is up to you. Like, I don't know what, exactly what that value you offer is, but maybe it's trade. Maybe it's you offer to do farm chores, your, your muck and stalls, whatever it is. But make that clear up front if you're going to want to get someone's time and resources offer for value for value exchange. I hope you guys got a lot out of that conversation. I really enjoyed it and, and I'm feeling very lucky to be able to finally share it with you guys. I've been, been keeping it on the on the hopper for a couple of months now. And so so to be able to release it to you now just feels really good. If you are curious and you want to learn more about what Dan's doing on his homestead, uh, be sure to check out the grass-fed homestead. You can find it on YouTube. I think he does a lot of, a lot on, on Instagram as well. And, and he just does some great content. You learn a lot from watching his videos, and so, so be sure to check him out. And if you want to learn more about what we're doing here at Goldshaw Farm, you can always check us out at Goldshaw Farm, either on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or Facebook. We got a lot going on right now. Um, I'm kind of crazed just trying to keep up with uh, really the peak season. You know, we're at the point right now on our farm where we have the maximum amount of birds that we're going to have for the year. It's all going to shrink from here. And and I got to tell you, it's it's keeping me busy. I feel like I'm working around the clock. And I'm also starting to feel like this this real need to fight off the winter. Because like the Starks say, winter is coming. And um, I can just tell that we're probably, I don't know, maybe about 10 weeks away probably from our first snowflake. So I've got just all sorts of projects going on around the farm. Trying to get ready for cattle. Trying to get ready for butchering season, just a lot happening here. I've been crazy, but I've been absolutely loving the life. Um, so if you want to check us out, Goldshaw Farm, just look for it anywhere pretty much at this point. And if you want to help out this podcast, please, 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 for every single person who listened to this podcast today and got something out of it, share it with at least one friend. If you do that, I think you're going to help us grow further and I can actually dedicate more time to making these podcasts because I love having these conversations with folks and I look forward to sharing my next one with you really, really soon. But before that happens, here's my buddy Keith Pierce to play our theme song and end the show. Thanks a lot. It's got a soul, this hero farm It falls asleep inside my arms Work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. A city life yet yeah, had its charms. But we would dream of the fields under the stars. I fall asleep inside its arms. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. The love is here. Here at Gold Shop Farm.